Good day, listeners. My name is Ryan Todd, and this is Beyond the Checkbox, where you learn how to integrate more mental wellness into your organization through frontline leaders. And today we get to connect with Stefan Grenier, uh, who was a soldier. He served in the Department of National Defense for about 30 years. And when he stepped away from you know service, he came back and found himself, as he says, a very different person. And Stefan is an incredible person because he turned that change that was negative in his life into something very positive. He noticed also that peer support was so crucial in the groups that are struggling with what he coined as an operational stress injury. So Stefan has a lot to talk about in this episode uh, because this is such a complex issue, PTSD coming back from war, how this has all been impacted by the pandemic and taking care of our veteran community. Uh, we have a lot to learn in our workplaces from those who have dealt with and been in the most extreme conditions, and that is what Stefan has been carrying forth. He now has a consulting firm where he works with organizations across North America, in particular Canada and the U.S., and talks about and builds peer support networks, and he has a methodology to doing that. We were very fortunate to have him on the show today. Uh, Stefan has been uh, an excellent guest and a, and a thought leader in a space that needs more leadership. Thank you for joining us today. As always, we are so appreciative that you continue to subscribe and follow and contribute to the show, and we love hearing from you to better understand what you need to hear about to take your organization to the next level when it comes to mental health. Thank you for listening today. My name is Ryan Todd, and this is Beyond the Checkbox. don't recall now how we got connected i think we reached out to you because you've done so much work in mental health and particularly with uh with our veteran community um and i, I guess just to start off i would love to hear more of your story more of what i could you know what i've read about you like you started off you know you served in rwanda and um and uh from then you really had this trajectory of of helping other individuals understand mental health and what it is to be a soldier and have mental health issues at a time when it wasn't really talked about. Like now I think it's more commonplace, I guess, but when you started to talk about this, did you find you were, you know, you were, you were preaching to people that didn't really understand what was going on with soldier mental health? Yeah. Well, if I, if I start with the end and thank, thanks for, you know, the, the question, because the roots of any sort of initiative or the roots of any program or the roots are very important to understand. But if I compare, you know, 20 some years ago when I started down this path and today, um, you know, it hasn't changed all that much. Now one would think it has changed, right? And what I'm talking, what I'm talking about here is, is our inability as human beings to actually grasp the concept that the brain is not immune to illness or injury. And I make a distinction between the two and that 
doubly hard to grasp that, you know, we as human beings, despite the fact that human beings may not have a PhD, they may not be clinical psychologists, we have a responsibility to support those who are struggling, you know? So if you're a clinician, of course, you're going to see a patient and you're going to diagnose that patient and you're going to treat the patient, you know, apply cognitive behavioral therapy, you're going to prescribe medication, but where's the societal responsibility towards that individual? And the process is I find whether it's in the military or now I've been working with industry for 10 years, also all different sectors, law enforcement, transportation, public, private. We're now working in healthcare units because of course hospitals, right? Why? Because the human species has been exacerbated like never before really. And I think the clinicians in this country are experiencing what battlefield medical is all about, right? Where you have to triage, you have to make life and death decisions. And I think uh, hospitals are exacerbated. But what I find interesting is that, you know, after a couple of decades of working in this field, it hasn't changed all that much. We as a human species still don't understand that the brain can be injured or become ill and more so, we don't understand that there's an equivalent of, you know, when somebody breaks a leg and they get a cast and you meet them, you know, when you were in high school or university and you would sign the cast and the person would become a hero and you thought, what happened to you? I fell off a truck or I fell out of ski, right? Now, nobody wants to become a hero with mental health. But the thing is, is when the equivalent happens to a human being, there's no cast, there's no signing, there's no support. And the recovery happens in isolation of social support. And what I find ironic is that if you think about it, I don't think those bones, and you could argue with me because you, you're a clinician, but I don't think those bones are fusing faster inside that cast if you have social support and support from others, right? But the brain heals faster, right? So here we are in 2021, and we are so focused on research, which is good. We're so focused on ma making sure people have access to a, a doctor. But we're doing very little to actually rehumanize our society and make sure that Canadians are supported between those medical appointments. Medical appointments are very important, right? But what happens between those medical appointments is equally important. It's, I, I'm sure you know that because if I'm not treatment compliant or I do not follow doctor's orders, right? Fan chances are when you see me three weeks later, you can say, you're making no progress, right? And the beauty of, of well-stitched social support uh, when it works is that it, it ensures that that recovery tra trajectory stays on course, right? Uh, anyways, I'll stop here, but... Well, and that's the thing I think about a bone, like it heals on its own more or less. Like you have to do physio and you get an Eric boot and... Uh, yeah, and mostly if you rest, it heals, and that's not the brain at all. And sometimes I think we're at such a nascent understanding of where you need to apply pressure and where you need to rest. Like we know, as like for example, with anxiety disorders, rest is actually can be a really bad thing. Like removing that person from work and not having a return to work plan and just totally reducing the stimulus it, it kind of reduces your skill set but we just don't know how to like with the bone we kind of know when to do what and, and so i'm wondering when you say social support what do you mean in particular that's a, that's a really important concept i think that we should get our heads around well it's interesting because if i go back now 
you know, back into the mid nineties now, right. After my tour in Rwanda, where I came back a very different person, a broken human being. Did you know that as soon as you came back, you were different? Well, when I look back in hindsight, I said, yeah, it was clear, but at the time it definitely wasn't clear. Right. Yeah. And, okay. and, and so all these things were happening to me and I thought, Oh, I saw movies and things like that, but I'll get over it. I'll get over it. I'll get over it. You push, push back. Right. Well, what was clear in the mid nineties before I was, you know, offered the opportunity to pivot my career into this field now, which is not medically, by the way, it's everything organizations have to do from a leadership perspective, from a cultural perspective, from uh, um, to, to set the conditions where it's okay to be human at work and actually allow human beings to support each other as a complement to everything else that's being done clinically, right? Uh, and so what I found interesting in the mid-90s when I started obsessively researching this, and I remember contacting Dr. Shalev in Israel at three o'clock in the morning. And three days later, he replied to me and I was trying to understand things, right? But everything I was reading pointed to, oh yes, and the other important factor is social support. So what I started being obsessed with is, I'm not a doctor. What's this social support? I started deconstructing it. And if you fast forward to today, but my colleagues and I, so we're 30 in our ecosystem now in, in our company. And what we do is we construct very robust social support, peer support programs inside institutions, organizations, provinces, if we may, or states at the U, in the United States. So that when doctors are treating patients and they leave their care, they are actually not alone and they can benefit from that support between those medical appointments, right? So engineering that took quite some time. And now we're, you know, launching an app to actually connect people through a mobile device application in a safe way with high standards. And, uh, uh, but all this takes time, but here we are, you know, we, and, and, and that is what uh, we firmly believe that a, a well um, uh, developed, well thought through good policies, good boundaries, good selection, good training, good accountability framework is as important in a peer support program as everything a clinician, a physician is accountable to. And when you, when you bring the human being into the space of, oh, I didn't know that if I did these things or said these things that it would be helpful, you galvanize recovery, you accelerate that recovery. And as the patient moves forward into his recovery, he doesn't fall back as often. And the clinical evidence is clear mm. about this, right? So that's what we do, essentially. Our program is called a peer support program. And it is, it is everything a human being needs outside of clinical care. And outside of friendship as well, because that peer support sweet spot is right between clinical care and friendship. It's not either. It's what happens in the middle. So those boundaries are very important to understand, right? To be a peer supporter, I, I imagine you require some training. Like you can't just wake up and say, hey, I'm a peer supporter now. Like the, the attitude is probably something that you don't need to train, but the, the particulars of it, is, is there training? Uh, so I'll tell you uh, all of the right. So first, before training, there needs to be a program. There needs to be, and, and so often your question is key, but my answer is also key because most of our clients say, so we want to, we want to launch a peer support program inside the company here. And so do you guys do training? And my answer is always, that should be the least of your worries. Training is the easy part. Everything mm -hmm. leading to training is the complex part. 
the whole policy framework. How are we going to keep people accountable? And how is this going to function inside your organization with the policy framework you have and all this? Selection is actually more important than training. Because when you select the right people, they bring into our training the innate qualities, competencies, and behaviors we're looking for. And therefore, when we get to the training part, we have actually curated the pool of peer supporters to a degree that they are actually trainable. And I would say yeah. to your point, a person who thinks they don't need peer support training is the wrong candidate. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Very, it's not easy, but it's our easiest delivery inside of a program. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the policy, policies have always interested me because um, they can live on paper and that's like the only place they live. Uh, and then you've you paired that with accountability, and I I want help us kind of deconstruct that accountability to whom accountability of what like what kind of accountabilities are we talking about? Because I think that very question gets a lot of employers afraid. Like who do I like if I open up the Pandora's box? Is this just a free for all of mental health? or illness or whatever it is. So what the accountability thing is really interesting. So there are many different boundaries, if you wish, right? And so what, what we looked at when we developed a policy framework, a corporate policy framework that, that you know, is, is subjected to every you know, legal office of each of our clients. And at the end of the day, it comes out pretty much you know, unscathed. But it was really not to create another policy document for the sake of selling a policy document. It was, what are the procedures inherent to a relationship between two human beings who aren't buddies. There's no managerial responsibility. There's no power differential between the two human beings. They're only chatting inside the workplace and after work, perhaps at Coffee Tim Hortons for the purpose of supporting each other or one yeah. supports the other, right? So we looked at all those procedures. And then what we did is we reversed engineers and we backed up those procedures inside the policy framework and then we have tools. In other words, if you are my boss in my, my workplace and you found out last week that I applied to be a peer supporter inside your workplace, you as a boss would go, what is that? What is this thing, right? Uh, is, is Stefan going to stop delivering his work or meeting his deadlines? What is his volunteer? Is he paid, right? So you'll want to know. So all of that needs to be very clear for the manager. And we recently, a few years ago, we actually developed uh, a social contract between the peer supporter and the manager, his or her boss, right? Outside of that policy, but it's an annex, right? Where you as my boss and me as a peer supporter are brought together to understand how we're gonna work this out. Because if I'm supporting Cindy or in the cafeteria, you do not have the right to ask me, was Cindy seeking peer support today? No, because my conversation with her right? or, or Bob, right? You need to understand that. In lieu of understanding that, you might say, what was going on? I saw you talking with Cindy. Is she okay? You're now prying, right? And I'm going to go, hey, boss, back off. I, I can't tell you. But if I say I can't tell you, inherently, you know I was peer supporting this person. Therefore, <laughs> confidentiality has been breached. So you can see all these micro situations now have built up the procedures. And the procedures have been backed up by policy. And then we backed it up with tools and processes to force these conversations to ensure that these programs are rolled out in an efficient way where yeah. roles are clear, boundaries are clear, and people understand the rules of the game, right? How long does it take to design and let's say you're working with a police force or a public 
health authority. How long does it take to design and implement a peer support program? Like three months to a year. Three months to a year. And normally, the longer it takes is normally, I don't want to say that we do everything perfectly, but it's not because we're slowing down the process. It's because the organization is larger, has a lot of different, you know, uh, branches, and they have a big legal department, their legal department is backed up and things like that may take more time, right? But we've implemented as quick as a couple of months. And in other cases, uh, it's taken over, like during the pandemic, it's been really longitudinal here. Right. It's, it's been a longer process than, than before. But normally, a large, large organization can get something done in about nine months, yeah. roughly. Right. Did it change when you uh, like when COVID hit and we're all on Zoom now? Like, is it is there a model that works there and in the digital world? Well, it's funny because we we had pivoted to online training or distance right virtual training, if you if you wish, before the pandemic. So that was that was a good thing for us because we had already brought our training there. And now our next iteration of training, which has come out in 2022, will will have a lot of distance education. So it'll be blended learning where you do a lot of work on your own and you just make sure you've done all this work before you come to the facilitated session. And it it requires less, uh, it's asynchronous in a way, right? And so that, that went well. Uh, three years ago, we were asked by some of our clients, why don't you have an app? If you had an app to actually connect our people to peer supporters, it would go a lot better, don't you think? And I said, I don't really like technology. My business partners convinced me we should get into that. And now we're about to roll out the technology. We're about to go to market with our, our app. The difference between our app and other apps is that a mental health consultancy who's got 20 years of experience in mental health peer support, hired a tech company to build an app, not the other way around, right? <laughs> yeah. And and so uh, there's a lot of apps out there. The you the words peer support are used for all sorts of different things, sure. like carpentry. You know, I mean, I don't know if you own a hammer and a saw, but I'm sure that if you wit if you wanted to, you could say, "Well, I have a hammer in my garage, so I'm a carpenter," right? Well, are you really right? And so. Uh, that that is difficult in our ecosystem because a lot of things are called peer support. A lot of things yeah. are called peer support apps. A lot of things are called peer support training. Sure. But so, anyways, right? So it's a, it's a tough ecosystem. But technology is is I think part of the future now, right? Yeah, we absolutely have to adapt. And I want to I, I want to better understand your story throughout all this. I imagine this is somewhat like you're you're almost creating this thing. You have created this thing that you didn't have. You didn't have access to, I'm guessing there. But when you came back from, you know, serving, uh, and you had realized and looked into all this social supporty stuff, I imagine part of it was driven by the fact that you wanted that or needed that or felt that that would heal your own brain. Yes, and uh, which is why I launched a program inside that company, that organization, National Defense, and then. Um, and by the way, it's Friday. I've been invited to go to the 20th anniversary of that very program, which, wow. know, funny enough, survived decades of change in government, longstanding war in Afghanistan, budget cuts, change in mandates, change in ministers, right? Program is still alive and well today. But definitely, it was something that I felt was missing. But that's, you know, as, as a clinician, as somebody who's scientifically inclined, I, I, I think it's fair for me to say that you probably don't appreciate to some degree people like me who said, well, I've had that experience and I know what to do now, right? Because the research is based on the N of one, Stefan's experience, right? But what I complemented that with is, 
you know, in a non-scientific way, speaking to so many of my colleagues, then reading, doing my own research, connecting with clinicians, bringing clinicians inside my bubble to say, is this a good idea? And then the clinicians really started supporting the concept. And this is when uh, program, and then when I was seconded to the Mental Health Commission of Canada for two years on a, on a project, I realized that soldiers, in a sense, I'm not saying war fighting is easy, but soldiers have it somewhat easier than your typical Canadian out there who develops depression out of nothing, seemingly. You send a soldier to war, you send me to, to a genocide in Rwanda, a few human beings are going to say, oh, geez, Steph, he had a hard 10 months in Rwanda. Is yeah. he okay? People but when you joke it. you public, exactly, nobody gets it. And I thought, oh my God, I want to serve my country in a different way now. Yeah. And, and we are having some issues with a particular client these days. And one of my partners reminded me the other, last night, actually, she said, you know what, Steph, it's all worth it. Because at the end of the day, these people will start getting support. And I said, yeah. you're right. Let's keep working with the lawyers, right? It's <laughs> all worth it. Because unsupported, these Canadians will not recover as fast. Yeah. They will relapse more often. And we know clinically, for, because we also run a provincial healthcare system uh, peer support program now, where our peer supporters are embedded inside inpatient units and they work hand in glove you know, at arm's length with, with clinicians, psychiatrists. And, and we know from the Trackenberg research in the UK that relapse is less often, Readmission rates are lower. Uh, bed utilization reduces. Time in hospital reduces. Community tenure increases, right? So these are all the outcomes that we are trying to achieve through this collaborative partnership between our company and the healthcare system in, in that particular province. So time will tell, but this is all about complementing the great work that is always done by clinician, in most cases anyways. But then what? We as Canadians need to step up, right? And we have the mechanisms to actually achieve that. Is there any tensions between you and clinicians? Like, does that ever come up? Like, you've been very clear on, like, this is the boundary that we work in. And I think it's, it's beautiful because physicians aren't always the easiest people to work with, as you know. Uh, are there tensions there? Are there areas that are fuzzy and you're overstepping, they're overstepping, they're unclear, you're unclear? Like, what's that relationship? Right, we've had, so that's a great question. We've had many occasions where we needed to have conversations to clarify what had happened, to bring a peer supporter back within the range of, of, of roles, right? If there was, right? Sure. Um, and so that happens. Uh, and I don't say it happens all the time, but I don't even think it happens once a week, right? Uh, for, the, for the healthcare system, System program, we have a practice leader who constantly works with our peer supporters and brings them in line before, not in line, it's a bad, it's, it's a bad line to say it that way, but you know what I mean. So sort of coach them and, and, and mentor them to stay within their boundaries, right? Uh, and it's done in a collaborative way. And the peer supporters, they know, so, oh my God, I went too far. Okay, I've got to pull myself back here. Uh, the best example, so we do, right? We do, but I've never... I don't think I've ever had an experience where at the end of the meeting, the clinician said, well, no, this is not going to work. It, yeah. it is because clinicians are smart. They're educated. They're reasonable. 
if we provide all the background and we work collaboratively, they're no different sure. than anyone else. And the, the example I want to bring up is years ago at National Defense, actually, I had a peer supporter who did a big boo-boo, breached clear boundaries. And the Surgeon General and I had a conversation. His name was Hans Jung. Uh, you can look him up. He's a past Surgeon General of, of the Defense Department. Very nice man. And he's and I, I was worried because I thought, oh my God, the Surgeon General, he's going to want to hack the program, right? And he said to me in the meeting, he says, Stefan, don't worry. I experience these types of problems with doctors every once in a while. So don't worry. You know, I'm confident that you're, you're going to keep managing the program, do the best you can, but we need to talk about these things. And I, I learned very early in my second career, if you wish, that when the channels of communications are open, I, I don't see conflict with clinicians. Yeah. It's always workable, right? Yeah, that's great. Stefan, congratulations on like the work you've done. It's you know, evidence-based, it's programmatic, it's, you know, it's meaningful, it's not superficial. And that's, I think, where sometimes we get in, in the mental health gets in our own way, right? Workplace mental health, it can be a checkboxy superficial thing. So yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for joining us on the show. And uh, this, is, this has been really um, enlightening as to what you're doing. How can our listeners learn more about your program and what you do? Well, thanks for asking. It is so easy. If you remember this, supportyourpeople.com. Supportyourpeople.com. That's what we stand for. That's our vision. It's our mission. And so uh, it's very easy to remember, I think. And that's not because of me. I have some smart people backing, backing all this up. So, but thank you for inviting me. It was a, it was a pleasure, Ryan. That's a great website, supportyourpeople.com. We will absolutely check it out. Thank you so much for joining us today on Beyond the Checkbox. Keep up your good work. Okay, take care now.